here giving us thanks. This is Dear Pastor Jackie and Church. Thank you so much for allowing me to give the Gideon repent and for the generous offering. Jackie, please let the church pray the amount of offering. I can't read his writing. (laughs) As I won't be at the morning service for a while. Sincerely, John Roberts. We... God raised $1,485. And we calculated that's 297 Bibles that we get to send out that God, God would be blessed. You know, this morning, we're going through chapter 2 of Titus. And uh, Paul exhorts Titus to train and raise up the adults to teach the young believers. You know you're getting old when you look forward to dull evenings at home. You may, your mind makes commitments your body cannot keep. Everything hurts and what doesn't hurt doesn't work. You sink your teeth into a big juicy steak and they stay there. You dim the lights for economic reasons, not romantic ones. You've owned clothes so long that they've come back in style twice. Joni just hangs on to them now. You sing along to elevator music. You quit trying to hold in your stomach no matter who walks into the room. You know, in in today's world of education is everywhere and information you have at your fingertips. Everybody's got internet on their iPhones. And it's hard to imagine the biblical description of a church as God's training center for holy living. And we often overlook that. This error becomes obvious when the church lacks leadership. And I got to say, I'm blessed because this church is raising up young adults in the word of God. Uh, We have a a discipleship program going on on Tuesday night. We have men's Bible study going on on Monday night. Women's Bible studies going on two, three times a week. And young ladies and young men are being raised up and brought up in the word of God. But that doesn't mean that we can't grow. And it's really important that we look and see room for improvement. Chapter 2 starts off, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Titus is called to be an example to the Crete. And likewise, you and I are called to be examples in the church. People ask me, what's going on at Calvary Chapel Buell? And I really don't know what to say. What do you mean? And they say, well, people are fighting to get in your parking lot. They're parking out on the road. 
And usually it's non-believers that are passing by that wonder what kind of party are they throwing down there? Calvary Chapel. It's not us. It has been for the very beginning a move of God. It's not the music. It's not the pastor. We've had three and they're wonderful pastors. And we've been really blessed. It's not even the donuts that we serve on Sunday morning. Sorry, Joni. (laughs) It's not even the great cooking and the food that we serve. It's God moving through ordinary people. It's totally God. And God decided by his spirit to take an old broken down supermarket with a leaky roof and build a church. And before this building, it was a pawn shop down here on Broadway. And we thought, at least me and Brent, we thought if 10 people come and someone gets saved, it'll be worth it. And we took this old pawn shop that used to sell pornography and we gutted it out. And within a month's time, there were people fighting to get in the door. And we had to start, it's like, what do we do? We haven't even finished the building yet, and people are fighting to get in this building. So we had to take the classrooms and dismiss the children from the very beginning of the service so people could come in and have a seat. But we knew instantly God was moving, and God was doing a wonderful thing. And I, and I always thought, why a pawn shop? And why here? Because you've got to understand, for six months, Joni and I and Brent drove all over Buell looking and praying over buildings. And every time that we thought we found the right building for a church, God would close that door. And we were really getting discouraged. And... When we just thought, well, is, is this really God leading us? God opened up the door for the pawn shop. But once we got it built and got it going, it was quite obvious why God chose that building. Because what a witness it was. When everybody, everybody claustrophobic, you're stuffing yourself in this little building. And they would pour out into the street. And people were laying hands on one another. And praying. And people would be rubbernecking, driving by, going, What is going on? And I thought it was obvious. God wanted to make a statement. And God's still making a statement, gang. Because when people come in and they take a look at us, they say, I don't get it. Because there's nothing extraordinary here. It's an extraordinary God working through ordinary people. But one thing I do know, we teach the word of God. Verse by verse, chapter by chapter, sound doctrine. And see, you can get a whole lot of things wrong. And you can get lost on, on little uh, isms and, and uh, sidetracked. But you can't get this wrong. 
The fact is, people are hungry for truth. And the truth can only be found in Jesus Christ. And the truth can only be found in God's word. We must stay and remain grounded in God's word. Verse 2 says that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. I can't dodge this one or Howard would be all over me. (laughs) Five times by the guiding of the Holy Spirit, Paul says, for those in service, be sober. And sometimes in, 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 in... reference to this it also means clear minded but just so the Holy Spirit just so God made it clear to us what he was talking about he says in chapter 1 that the elders be not given to wine later on you see that he says to the women be not partakers of wine that the young men be sober minded See, we have a freedom in Christ. And I can't stand before you and say, you can't drink. But I know for a fact, if you want to be used by God, this is going to hurt you. And you run the risk of stumbling somebody that struggles with alcohol. And I've seen it over and over again. Because in, in Paul's day, they... They had parasites in the water. And Paul could tell Timothy, take a little wine, Timothy, for your stomach's sake. Because they would get worms. And unless you've got worms, don't drink. <laughs> can say, Fritz, I've got this six-pack in my, in my cart because I got, I got worms. <laughs> If you drink, be careful. You have that freedom. But I guarantee you, you'll be sidelined in your service to God. Paul writes to the church in Corinthians, Beware lest somehow in your liberty of yours you become a stumbling block to those who are weak in the faith. He goes on to say, Because of your knowledge, your freedom in Christ, shall the weak perish For me, it's not worth it. And like I said, so often I've seen somebody in their freedom stumble somebody that struggles. Because we can't hide it. It's a little town. When we put booze in in our shopping cart, someone's going to see it. And he goes on to say, in love... In patience. Paul told the Corinthians, or the Galatians, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. It is crucial that we continue to be a loving church. That we walk in the spirit. Because without being a loving church, we just become another loud church. And there's enough of those. 
You know, I, I, I appreciate Brent. Brent was my best friend. But it wasn't conjured up or thought of. It's like we had some kind of plan. He was just a loving man. And he loved people. And he was a kind man. And this church was founded in that love. And it was just people coming, walking in the spirit. Verse 3, the older women likewise that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderous, not given too much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. You know, that's, that should be the reason that we do all, all that we do, that we would glorify God, that God would be glorified. And the truth is, with, when you hear reports that the church is no better than the world as far as div- divorce rates, it kind of hurts your heart because it shouldn't be that way. We should be different. We should be set apart. See, you and I, gang, we can't say to our children, do as I say, not as I do. It doesn't fly. We need to be able to say, do as I do. Follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. That should be our heart. And he goes on to say, teachers of good things. It's sometimes easy for us older folks to become bitter and angry. And that we end up passing that on to our kids. Because we cannot give away what we ourselves don't possess. Paul exhorts us to be teachers of good things. I can't emphasize enough the importance of passing on to the younger generation godly values and experiences. Some of us that have been down the road of hard knocks, bruises and scrapes, it is crucial that we pass on what we've learned to the next generation in such a way that they benefit and that they're encouraged giving them an enthusiasm and an optimism for a future in Christ and about what God can do to a life devoted in love with him. It is our responsibility to pass it on. What a great opportunity and a great responsibility to raise up, pass on, give away what we've been freely given. And I need to say, not religion. Because our kids have seen religion. I've had a belly full of it. I hate it. But what I want to give away is a love relationship with God. He goes on to say, 
in verse 6. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. There's always opponent to sound doctrine. There's always someone that opposes your ministry. They're in the church this morning. Whether it's worship, whether it's the sermon that was given that morning. Paul said, don't worry about them, Titus. Don't worry about them. You walk upright. You be a godly example. Don't worry about them. That by your conduct, Titus, they will be ashamed. And we don't have to worry about people that are picking on us. We need to be that godly example. And, and Paul says to Titus, you, likewise, you exhort the young men. Showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. Showing integrity. Titus himself was exhorted to teach the young men while making sure that his walk was consistent following the pattern of life he was teaching. We need to be make sure that, that our walk is consistent with what we talk. And he goes on to say, verse 9, exhort the bondservants to be obedient to their masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Any bondservants here this morning? Anybody work a job? Raise a hand. You're all unemployed, huh? <laughs> if you work a job, guess what? You're a bond servant. You work for somebody. You're somebody's slave. And what Paul was saying, do your service as unto the Lord. Not as men pleasers, not with eye service, that even though your boss isn't watching, our Heavenly Father can't take his eyes off us. He watches everything that we do. You know, when I first got saved, I was uh, working it down at a hatchery, and uh, there was uh, three other Christian believers there at the workplace. And uh, I used to uh, watch them stand out on the, the pond wall and they would just like this chattering and their arms would be flying and blaring and, and, and I thought, that's a bad witness. And I would look at the other people at the, at the hatchery and they would see them out there 
And you would see them scatter every time the, the boss would drive around the corner. All of a sudden, they would scatter and, and, and look busy. And as soon as he was gone, they'd go back to work. And I told my friend, I says, this is a bad witness. And he says, no, it isn't. And he'd get really angry. They know what we're talking about. And I says, they don't care. They know you're stealing from the company. And I've got to tell you, when I was studying this, I was incredibly convicted because I'm not always the best employee I could be. I'm not always the best witness. Because believe me, gang, the world is watching us. They're watching our conduct. And we, as believers, should be the best employees they got at the workplace. You and I should be walking upright and knowing we do our work as unto the Lord. This is what Paul told the church in Ephesus. Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord. God is watching. And it changes everything when we know we're here to glorify God. And when, when businesses and people are afraid to hire Christian companies to come work because they see a fish, it should never be. It should be that people scramble to, find, to, to grab and employ when they find out you're a Christian because of the best employees I got. I never have to tell them to get busy. And that's all Paul was telling Titus. Exhort them that the, that the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things would be glorified. He goes on to say in verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. There's that soberly again. Paul reminds Titus, remember, he came and became flesh. He appeared to all men. What does this mean to you and me? See, I sometimes forget that Paul was taught by Jesus himself. And with that promise, he's coming again. We know that. And that's what Paul's saying. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to us all. The first time he came to save men from their sins. But gang, we forget he's coming in glory. He's coming again for us. God has appeared to all men and therefore he's coming again for us. And this is what Jesus was telling his disciples when he says, let not your heart be troubled. 
You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I I will go and prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. What a promise. Verse 13 goes on to say, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, for who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you, Titus. I named this sermon this morning, Looking for the Blessed Hope. I run the risk of sleeping, sleepwalking in my faith. Of being a zombie Christian. Of going from day to day, that this day will run into that day, and must plan the next week, and and, uh, I go on planning my future. And I take my eyes off the fact Jesus is coming soon. Am I ready? Have I done everything if Jesus was to appear before me today? Would I have any regrets? It is easy to forget to look up, watch, and pray for Jesus could come at any moment. I want you to do me a favor and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Because this was Paul's heart. And I often think, what drove Paul with such passion? He said, I'm torn. I'm torn whether to leave here and to be in presence with the Lord. But it is better for you that I stay. As though he had a choice. Starting at verse 15... Chapter 4, he says this, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Now there was... See, Paul had already taught them about the, the rapture of the church. But there were believers that were believing that those that have died miss the rapture. And he wanted to clear this up with them. So I said, understand, we will by no means, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep, dead. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. He's coming. And he's going to take us up. 
And he goes on to say, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when we say peace and safety, then suddenly destruction comes upon them. As labor pains unto a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. You are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be ready, sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Are we looking for his return? And I have to be honest with you, gang. I don't always. If he was to come today, I have to confess to you, I would have regrets. I haven't told everybody that I need to tell. I should be able to say, today, Lord, come today. I'm ready. And you know, when we live with that expectancy, this is what Paul is talking about. This changes everything. Because to this point, we have rules and regulations. Paul's saying, don't do this, do that. Don't do this. And here's your list of of things you need to do. But this is what drives that holiness in you and me. This is what drives us to righteousness. That expectancy that the Lord is coming for us. Looking for that glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It changes our heart. It drives us to holiness. Do we live with that expectation, that desire to see him face to face? Him appearing before us. Paul, knowing that he was writing his last letter to Timothy, drove this home. Can you imagine Paul? not wanting Timothy to miss this point. This is my last letter, Timothy. I want you to get this. Turn with me to to 2 Timothy chapter 4. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering, teaching for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but according to their own desires because they have itching ears they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth 
and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. See, I sort of run the risk of of missing the point. But to a Jew, they would get it. When they would do their offering in the temple, their monthly offering, and put their sacrifice on, on on the hot altar, they would pour wine across it. And it would just bubble up. And this aroma would fill the temple. He says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. Get this, gang. And not to me only, but also to all who love his appearing. Do I love his appearing? I sometimes get sidetracked. Do we love his appearing? He says, this is a promise to all believers. This crown of righteousness that I will receive from Jesus, this is a promise that I cling to. And he says, not to me only, to all those who love his appearing. In chapter 3 of Titus, he goes on to say, Remind them to be subject to rulers, authorities, to obey, to be ready in every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. You know... Ah, I'm so thankful that God put this here this morning because we're right in the middle of election year. And if there ever was a time that saints were to get on their knees and pray for our nation, this is the time. That we pray for our leaders, that God would forgive our sins. And turn our nation back to him. Because it's not too late. Sometimes we think it's too late. It's gone too far. And he was saying to the Cretans, be respectful to those in authority. You know, uh, the Cretans were known for their disobedience, both in the church and in government. And believe me, gang, you think we have it bad. And we do. They had a real corrupt government. And Paul told him, remind them to be subject to them. You and I need to pray for our president. We need to pray that he be saved. Because the fruit of our president today, I don't think he is. Because his walk doesn't line up with his talk. 
And God, God can only change his heart. But you and I have a responsibility that we make our, our voices heard, that we don't stand in the sidelines and not do nothing. We need to be registered, we need to be voters, and we need to make a difference. And this is what the Bible, this is what God says about our, our current elections. This comes from Second Chronicles seven twelve. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. I always think, yeah, Obama needs to, he needs to read that. No, he's talking to us. We need to pray. We need to humble ourselves and pray and seek his face. And we need to turn from our wicked ways. We need to be men and women on our knees and making it right before God. And what does God say? He says, then I will hear from heaven and hear their prayers and I will heal heal their land. If there's ever a time in America's history that it needs a healing, it's today, gang. We need a healing. And he goes on to say, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, We are saved by one thing, gang. That's the love of God. And like I said earlier, this church needs to remain a loving church. That we love one another. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This is love. And what does it tell me? That we should be loving to those in authority. For while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. I rented to this and I wanted to share it with you. People want to be lightly governed by strong governments. You've wanted that since you were a little small child. You wanted your dad to be big and strong and able to do anything you could think of except when he dealt with you. It had to be with gentleness and tenderness. You wanted a policeman on the corner tough enough to handle any neighborhood situation, any neighborhood bully, but who would also hoist you on his shoulders and help you find your parents when you were lost in a crowd. Lots of muscle, 
with lots of restraint. There is an innate yearning in almost every one of us for that rare combination. When evil people rise up, we want a government with the clout to take them down. Yet we never want that clout to turn on us. People want to be lightly governed by a strong government because that's how God governs. The omnipotent ruler of the universe who also the one who invites us tenderly, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We need to be that gentle, kind-hearted people. And Paul reminds them, we were once like them. We were sinners just like them. We were lustful. He says, be respectful. And he goes on to say, in verse 5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the redoing of the Holy Spirit when he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's simply, we are saved by grace through faith. It's nothing that we could do, could earn it. We can't pay for it. We can't work for it. It is a gift of God. And when he says washing of regeneration, that's simply that born again spirit in us, washing us clean by the Holy Spirit. And what is the fruit? Of this, we long for his appearing. What should we do with this? We need to tell our loved ones, gang. I don't want to stand before the Lord with any regrets. And I need to tell them the truth. Apart from Jesus, there's no heaven. I need to be able to be bold enough by his spirit to say, you're going to hell apart from Jesus. Because that's what my Savior said. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. God, give us that boldness that we would tell our loved ones. My brother-in-law got really sick this week. And, and really brought this home for me and Joni and, and, and Doug and all the family, is Joe saved? But it's not too late. God gives us another day. We need to tell. And I have to have... that realization... And that urgency that he could come today. This is the day. 
And I need to ask you this morning, do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Because apart from him, it's nothing but darkness. Eternity apart from God. And it has nothing to do with your good works or you being a good person or keeping the Ten Commandments. You never will. You need to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. When Pastor David Peterson was preparing a sermon, his little daughter came and said, Daddy, can we play? I'm awful sorry, sweetheart, but I'm right in the middle of preparing this sermon. In about an hour, I can play, her dad said. Okay, she said. When you're finished, I will give you a great big hug. She went to the door and then did a U-turn and came back and gave her dad a bone-breaking hug. You said you were giving me a hug after I was finished, her dad said, teasing. I just wanted you to know what you have to look forward to, the little girl said. (laughs) The last time our grandkids were over, little Jerrica, she spent the night and that, that that next morning she ran over to me and I think Joni was fixing his breakfast and she wrapped her arms around me and she just hugged me with all that she had and she kissed me on the cheek and she looked me in the eye and she goes, Grandpa, I love you so much. My heart melted. (laughs) (laughs) And when I read this, I thought, that's how God is with you and me. He sent his son the first time in grace and mercy. And he wants us to know what we have to look forward to when he comes again for his bride. And we will see on our Savior what it cost him that we might be saved. Because he'll have the nail marks in his hands and in his feet. We shall see him face to face if we love his appearing. Could you dim the lights, Betty? I want us all to bow our heads and close our eyes. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior this morning, I know God's tugging at your heart. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and sup with him and him with me. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to raise your hand and accept Jesus as Lord. Don't pass this opportunity up, gang. You don't have tomorrow. Thank you. God bless you. Any others? I'm going to give you a moment. Someone's, God's tugging at your hearts this morning. You want to make it right before God this morning. Well, God bless you. Pray this prayer with me this morning. 
And saints, you pray it with me. Heavenly Father, I accept your free gift of salvation. I believe you sent your son as a price for my sins. I accept that gift. And I accept you as Lord and Savior. I believe you died for my sins and that you rose again the third day. Thank you for this new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I have the band up? Let's all end in prayer. Heavenly Father, you make all things new. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time in your word, Lord. This opportunity to remember and reflect and know, without a doubt, we are yours and you are coming for us. But Lord, we pray, help us to seize the day Till you come, that we would run our race with endurance to the end, that we would receive that prize, Lord, that we would see you on that day. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us to live for you, to love, to walk in obedience, to walk in your word, Lord. Thank you for teaching us to trust, to love the lost, to be a witness, to tell all those that we know about your love. Send us out, Lord, we pray, into the world, into our homes, into our family, to our friends. Lord, that we would be used by you. I want to have no regrets on that day, Lord God. Our heart's desire is to see you, Lord Jesus, face to face. May you be glorified in us and through us. In Jesus' name. Amen.